and have one that will publish tomorrow morning at 7. Mondays, I thought it was funny because even though I recorded it on Saturday, which we kind of knew what we were in heading towards weather-wise, I'd actually written out, I've written out ahead of time the side notes and the verses that I'm wanting to cover. I'm writing that out ahead of time. So I've got the series ahead of time, then I work at it as I go. But I, as I'm going through the Bible, I see this, and I'll write down, this will be this episode. And then I go back and work that up. So I had, well before the, you know what the weather was going to be, I had done the one which was Monday, and entitled Toe Hooks. And I just thought that I got a kick out of that for of all times to have that title on a, on a podcast. Monday was very appropriate for it. Philippians chapter 4, and I want you to look please in verse 9. It says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. And I'm not preaching on that verse, but I would ask you, you might want to later look at that and consider that um, there's more to it than just part of the verse. In other words, you can't just learn and receive it, but you need to do it. It has to be the follow-up. If you want to be blessed, you've got to put it into action. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your uh, care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And what he's speaking about there is the fact of the churches helping him to get other churches established. Not that I speak in respect of want, then notice the verse, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. I everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then in context with that, I can do all things. I can be abound, I can be abased. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And uh, then turn over to First Timothy, if you will, chapter 6. And tonight I'm going to be speaking to you on the subject of how to abound. Um, we used to jokingly say, and I say we, I'm talking about as college student. We, we were taught correctly from the Bible that there are certain temptations and testings that come with lack, that come with relative poverty, that come with need. There are temptations, trials. You can, you can make some real errors during that time. And there are certain temptations and trials that can come if you have wealth or you have possessions and such. And you've got to, in other words, you've got to follow the Lord at all times with this. And we used to jokingly as students and uh, in that time, of course, you're paying your way through and working and all that we did. And uh, we'd say, well, I, I think, you know, I've had two or three years of learning how to be poor. Maybe God will bless and tempt me with riches now, you know. <laughs> but he knew we weren't ready for it while we had that attitude, so it didn't happen. Um, but uh, to, talking to you tonight about how to abound. We are an abounding nation when it comes to material things that we have. Um, the the poorest among us would be rich in most most or I should say many nations of the of the of the earth. Um, but we are also also an abounding people in, in liberties, and I understand. Um, our liberties are being eroded by our own decadence, and we're willfully giving them away. 
as we don't have an American mindset uh, so prevalent anymore, uh, where people will say it's not just the issue of it's not just the issue of the issue; it's the issue of you realizing that uh, you're overstepping your place in the government in different areas, and you need to back up. And uh, so there's not a mindset of that, but we still abound in liberties. We do abound in our in our uh, access to the gospel, word of God. How many of you own more than one Bible? We see that. How many of you have more than one? Kind of, okay. How many of you have? I, I have a bunch, and I'm not counting what I call my heresy shelf. I have a bunch of wild things, including Jehovah's Witness Bibles. But uh, as far as real Bibles, how many of you? I I have five or more different ones. If I count New Testaments and such, I got them in my car. I've got different. Uh, and and yet. There are people in their language groups that would like to have one. Now, I don't think, to me, it's not a shaming thing as long as we keep active and try to get it to them. Uh, sometimes people almost try to bring it as a shaming thing. I guess it's a shame if, if we're not trying to help others have the Word of God. But we abound in it. You, you and I do. We have opportunity to hear the Word of God. We have opportunity to open the Bible. And most of American Christianity's problem doesn't come from a lack of Bible. It's from a lack of obedience to it. There is a lack of clear preaching of it. And that, uh, I, I, have, uh, I, I, have, uh, I, I have thoughts and some strong feelings towards what's called uh, ministers and preachers in our day and time across the board and, and groups, including our own independent Baptist groups. And a lack of fidelity to the Bible or putting forth the effort that it takes to actually feed your people something. And so... Um, these things are there, but we, we abound. Now, the question is, do we know how to abound? Do we know what to do with our blessings? And uh, that's why I want to help you with tonight. I want you to understand the heart I have coming to you with this. I, I've sought to get my heart in harmony with what I believe the Spirit of God as revealed in His Word is concerning this with God's people. And I really believe the heart of that is this. I want you as God's people to be equipped through the Word of God so that blessings come into your life don't end up becoming curses in your life. And so that you may be increased with your abounding and you may increase others with it. In other words, so you can handle it and uh, in a biblical way so that you can go forward uh, with things in life. Um, look in 1 Timothy 6. If, are you there at that chapter? Uh, let's look, if you will, in these verses. I'm going to be in verse 17. These were strong statements made to Timothy, who was a young preacher and who was put over some, a church and some churches to, to organize and, and instruct them. Look in verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. You notice it starts with a word. What's that first word in verse 17? Charge, okay? And the idea of charge is to give a solemn duty to someone. It's to speak as authority. Um, I believe a real preacher doesn't stand up here and do this stuff and give you a little lecture. You speak as one who has authority because you're supposed to be speaking according to the Word of God. And so that, that's this word. This is the idea of this. This is the idea of the, the real leadership that is committed to the preacher as he, as he tries to help God's people uh, go the direction that God reveals in His Word. It says, charge them that are rich in this world. So look at the subject. He's saying, Timothy, you're to give a strong statement. You're to, you're to speak clearly to those who are rich in this world. You say, well, I'm not rich. You're measuring yourself in American standards, and that's not even an accurate thing. 
There was a saying they, they had in Haiti. Um, they said, rich man eats when he wants to, a poor man eats when he can. And I saw that lived out to fairly well. And, and when we were there, I can't imagine living there because I was only there for a short time. But it says, charge them that are rich in this world, what? That they be not high-minded. I'm going to explain this, these things to you. That they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. You say, oh, not uncertain, my job's secure. No, it's not. I'll bring you a message Sunday on how to handle anxiety after I explain these things to you tonight, okay? But no, it's not. You say, well, I, I've got my retirement all set up. Well, it can all fall down. <laughs> Riches are uncertain. You want the rest of the story on this? They always have been. Always. You say, well, I wish our economy was as stable as it was when? It's had, I grant you, it's more unstable now than it has been a lot of times. And our indebtednesses and, and the, uh, uh, the fact of no backing to our currency and these things are, are, are all you know, part of that picture. But it's uncertain anyway. It can be gone in a hurry with that. Uh, it says, but the, charge them, what? That they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. Watch it. But, instead of trusting in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Who giveth us, look at the word that's used, richly, how many things? All things to what? So in other words, it's not wrong for God's people to enjoy what they are able to work for, what they are able to have, what they are able to uh, uh, partake of as they go through this life. We have a kind, loving Heavenly Father. I get excited when my sons do well in their lives. I get excited when I see them something good happening to them. I like to see that. My Heavenly Father is the same way towards me and towards you. There's almost a Baptist monasticism that's taught. You say, what's monasticism? It's the idea of the monks and these sort of things where they would go into uh, what's a, 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 a cloister-type life where they would separate themselves from society supposedly to pursue God. Well, that's, that's a bunch of nonsense. always has been. It's not what God has us do. God wants, God wants us to be a people separated unto Him. He does not want us to be a people isolated from this world in which we live. Pray tell, how are we going to be salt and light in our communities and in our families? How are we going to be salt and light if we have this mindset of you know just, just walling ourselves off? Well, there's a mindset that way sometimes when it comes to uh, richly enjoying all the good things. We understand. I mean, anybody with that lick of sense when it comes to Bible understanding knows that fleshly and sinful indulgences that are, are, are out of the way would not be a part of that picture. You have to have not just a lack of understanding, but you would have to have a perversity of thinking to think that something that is sinful to a holy God, it's okay if you enjoy it, but in moderation. No! There's no, you know, you don't moderately use cocaine. You don't moderately blaspheme God. You don't moderately commit adultery. Uh, you, what is sinful, sin by its nature is not moderate. But God has given us a huge amount of things to enjoy. And I'm amazed sometimes that some people get a mindset where they think it's spiritual 
to not be able to enjoy anything that goes on in this material world. Did it ever occur to you who made this world? Did it ever occur to you why we are creative? We were fascinated by this presentation on yesterday and uh, how things are made and these old tools and it had what's called shaving horse that the kids were getting to use on for, for working on wood and, and, and had a, a fro there and we were having fun with that because as many of you know, if my hair grows, I have a fro. <laughs> but it's a different type of fro. This thing's for splitting wood and then make shake shingles out of it or wooden shingles and then uh, sometimes siding and where the term to and fro comes from with that thing. And what they had that was called a maul. It's not the big fat axe that we use in order to split wood, but it's a, a wooden thing for driving driving that other tool in. And all these things we were learning about with it. And, and we're looking at those things and, and, and it's absolutely amazing, the creativity. My wife was standing beside me and she kept saying, they're smarter than we are now. They could, they could just take anything and work with it. And why, why is mankind like that? Look, look around this room right now. Do you realize we don't have to have nice lights like that or chandelier type lights in order to have light in here? We can just have light bulbs hanging. We don't have to have paint on the walls in order for this to be a functional room. We don't sure don't have to have the oak uh, covering the, uh, uh, the wo woven steel beams that are underneath all that right there. We don't have to have the color coordination and the things going. Not for this to be functional. But I guarantee you, you would not continually get as much out of church as what you would like to now. You would not come in and enjoy it as much if you came in here and this room was just, you know, a bare drywall with nothing on it. If you had a bunch of plastic folding chairs out here, a bare floor. I hate to think the sound bounce of that. Um, if you came in and had some light bulbs strung down, you walk in here, and I guarantee many of you, the first time you walked into this church, if you walked into a room like that, you'd say, what's going on? Now, sometimes people with understanding understand if a church is just getting started, you may be starting a condition like that, but when you've been around a while like we have, you come in, but why do we enjoy this? Why is there the, why is there the, uh, the false stone out there on the, on the corners to make the building look nice when you pull in? Why did we leave the space and the concrete there away from the wall so that that can be landscaped as it's going to be as soon as the weather clears and, and, and some things in there? Well, part of the reason that keeps your bumpers from going through the side of the, of the wall. But um, why do we have a space like that? Why do we decorate the things? Why do, why do we decorate when we have dinners here? You don't just come in on some kind of wooden table and just go in. Why? Why is that? It's because you're made in the image of somebody. And God made us in His image and He has given us an appreciation of the things we have. So the Bible says that we are to charge, we who are preachers are to charge in the rich in this world that they be not high-minded. The idea of being high-minded is being arrogant of what we do with things. But that they instead, that they, or in addition rather, that they don't trust in uncertain riches. So if you abound, okay? You start doing well. You get some things. You're... Maybe your income goes up and you've worked. And uh, maybe there's an inheritance comes your way. Maybe whatever the situation is. You find yourself in a more comfortable situation living-wise than you've been in. The Bible says when you get in that situation, do not trust in those uncertain riches. Because the blessing and the, the going forward that God will allow to come into our lives is not designed 
by God to take us away from Him. Explain what I mean. Name Russell Anderson means something to some of you all, but others are newer to the church and have never met him and such. Brother Anderson, very, very wealthy man, very involved in the Lord's work, he, and he'd been here. Uh, what does Brother Anderson was here three, four times, something like that. Anyway, he he's he's been here and got to know him and and such. But when I talked to him in person, and he'd come to our church, and there were other occasions that time to spend with him. Here's a man who had done very very well. At one point, it was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, he had 435 rental properties across the country. You say, well, a lot of people do that. But when some of them were condos in Waikiki and places like this, it was not low rent district stuff, all of it. Some of it was just for normal average folks to live in. Some of it was higher end. He had other businesses he ran and it just did very well in business. It was very generous with what he had and served the Lord. I was on, on probably about three different occasions just going from one place to another with him. Um, I was amazed. I never went, he never went from point A to point B without getting gospel tractors in my hand. It just is constant with him. That's what he did. He, he's a witness for Christ. And uh, Brother Anderson, he was talking about how he has taught business people. And he's went into churches and tried to help people learn how to handle business. And he mentioned to me somebody I wouldn't have known, and he didn't give their name anyway, but he said there's a couple he says I'm thinking of right now. He says, I wish I'd never taught him anything about business. And uh, he said that maybe, in fact, when we were talking, he said, maybe Brother Manny, you tell your people about this sometime. And I, he said, I taught them business. He said they didn't have much anything. Taught them business. They started, they were following the Lord. They were faithful in church. They were witnesses for Christ good solid family he said but God blessed them they started following uh, good financial principles they they found out they could do some things well he said next thing you know they're pretty wealthy he said then the next thing you know they were too wealthy and too busy for Wednesday night church then they were too wealthy and too busy for Sunday night church he said then they were out of church completely and then they were out running and then they were with the cocktail crowd and then they were with and he said I would to God I had never taught them how to earn a dollar he said because they became poor by becoming rich. You see the difference? They could have, I think, somebody you know, Brother Ron Kendall. What a pleasant man. Very, very wealthy. Third owner of the largest architectural firm in Kentucky. They built more trailers than anybody else. No. Uh, they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they built, they built Papa John's Stadium and other places down there. And uh, Luckett and Farley was the name of his corporation. What a pleasant man. Oh my goodness, if you got to spend, spend time with him. This man just wealthy. But you know what? His thing was serving the Lord. He gave the, the 100 acres of Indian Creek Baptist camp uh, for use of the Lord. Bought that and gave it to him. He, he did that. If you went down to when they were having big youth conferences down there, they'd have 1,000 to 1,400 teens at these big youth conferences. If you went there you, to find Brother Kendall, you'd have to go out where the trash cans were. Because you'd find him in coveralls and then stuff work type coveralls, driving a little John Deere Gator around, which he probably donated to the church, uh, John Deere Gator around, emptying the trash cans from where the kids were eating outside the picnic. That's what he did. He wasn't a speaker. He did. I heard him speak at a couple pastors' conferences talking to us about building buildings and things we should look for and figure out. But what was he doing? He was so happy. He'd say, hey, Brother Kendall, how you doing? Doing good, man. Oh, the Lord's blessing this year. He gets a lot of kids here. It seems like a lot of them making decisions. That's what got him excited. You know what he did? Oh, he enjoyed. 
He and his wife took trips. He, you know, Brother Anderson, they had things. And, and, and he enjoyed some things. But, but, but you know what? It never got him. You say, well, if I was wealthy, I'd do that. What? Do that now. You say, what do you mean do that now? We've got trash cans and empty. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, what, what I'm talking about is open your eyes to the fact that we have things that we can enjoy. And there's nothing wrong with it. But don't trust in uncertain riches. Do you hear me? I hope you hear me. I have a special heart that you young folks hear, hear me. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it's so important to me. Because you can make decisions now. You're not going to have to get yourself out of a hole you've been in. You get somebody who's already got 30, 40 years of living behind them and they've, uh, they've already tangled some things up, then uh, that's a lot different than it is to start and go forward from where you are now. Look up at me now while I'm talking at you, please. The, uh, but when it is, when, if you start now learning not to trust in uncertain riches, learning to handle things the way God wants you to, I wish I'd known, that, I wish I'd known at, at teenage age about this stuff. <laughs> All of us are saying, you know, if everybody in the room that has a few years on them is saying, uh huh, there might be something you want to listen to. Because there's, there's a reason why we wish we knew that. Let's go on down with this and give you these things. How do we abound? How do we take these things which our God would like us to be able to use well and things He can be a blessing to us and through us with, how do we keep them from becoming uh, in any way a, a curse to us instead of the blessing that God wants them to be? Let's, let's finish reading here in uh, 1 Timothy 6. Um, it says, verse 18, that they that they do good. How basic is that? Here's a little statement I heard when uh, President Trump was running. And it really bothered me when I'd hear it. Um, I think, you know, I think he's a good president. You don't, that's fine. You're welcome to your opinion. I'm welcome to mine. Um, but the point is, one thing I never liked is the immorality of where much of his wealth has come from and his immoral behavior in so many areas. And I don't think somebody being a, a uh, conservative or nearly conservative uh, politically glosses over the fact of being righteous or not. And that's something that... Bible-believing, fundamental Bible-believing people really have a bad habit of taking people who are politically conservative and allowing them to kind of get their mind to a point where they don't pay attention to what's right anymore. Now, I understand. We elect a president. We elect a governor. We elect something like that. We're not electing, you know, we're not voting on a pastor. So I don't live in some kind of weird world, you know. I understand, you know. My first, my first, and some of y'all that are really, really tight on some things, this will bother you, but that's okay. Um, the, my, first, my first consideration, I want to know someone realizes what our Constitution is. And they'll honor that because that's what they're supposed to enforce in our land and supposed to uphold. That's the first thing I want to know about. Not, not, 
disown me as a preacher if you want to, not where they go to church. I know some of you are like, ah, yes, no. <laughs> you're wondering if I'm taking the mark or something here. But it's, uh, I just, it's just the first consideration they're doing. You know, uh, if I'm looking for a doctor, I think it's great if I can find somebody who knows the Lord. I think it's great if I can find somebody I can work with with that. But my first consideration is can they do whatever we need done and do it well? You know, there are many good Christian brothers and sisters. I don't want cutting on my gizzard. There are many godly people I don't want running the country. Or a state, or a county, or the dog catcher. <laughs> a righteous doofus is a doofus still. And so, but we have forgotten about we are supposed to do good. And what I was going to tell you that bothered me was this glossing over of immoral things. And here's the thing that bothered me I heard said. Well, what can you expect? You know, he was young and a billionaire. What is the dollar amount that makes it acceptable for you to do perverted things? So if you make 100000 or less a year, you need to be holy. If you make 200000 a year, it's okay to be a little bit of a pervert. So if you're a poor man, you'd be faithful to your wife. And if you're a rich man, it's okay to have a, a couple on the side. Preacher, you're talking plain. Oh yeah, plain's the name of everything. Um, well, you're, you know, people like that. People like what? They're people. Well, they have a lot of money. Hmm? If it has caused their behavior to be deviant, then it sounds like the money has them. And that's not what God wants for us. Now notice the first word in this was charge. It's to make a strong statement and to give strong guidance in it. Then it says that they do good, verse 18, that they be rich in good works. Not only in wealth, but in good works. I'll just go on record as saying, if you have a service, if you have an ability, if you have a trade that's worth $120,000 a year, and you sell it out for 80000 a year because you don't want to be greedy and you think you're spiritual, you totally miss what the Bible teaches about stewardship, about what you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is, is be what you're worth, get what you're worth, and use it to the honor of God. Now, if you think because you have an ability that's worth a higher dollar figure and somebody else has an ability that's, that's not, doesn't command the same thing in the marketplace, that somehow you're superior to them, then you have a heart problem. I, if I was a Christian roofer, I wouldn't say, well, I'm a Christian roofer, so that's supposed to be a $10,000 roof. But I'm just going to do it for six thousand because I'm a Christian. No, I'm going to do it for ten thousand unless I decide to make it a part of a blessing that I on purpose believe that I'm supposed to do for that person, not because of some kind of guilt trip that says, "Well, I'm a Christian, so I can't charge full price." <laughs> Weird vibes coming my way. Um, oh my goodness. 
You say, is it wrong for someone to give someone a break? Or No, it's, it's right for a Christian person to have integrity, to not gouge, to give honest service for what they say they're doing, to give a high quality of workmanship. Whether you're working for somebody, you, you're still working part-time over here at Kroger? As a Christian young man, that'll be able to depend on you to be a top-notch worker because integrity says so. And you know, you've been around the work world long enough now, you know there's people find every which way to ditch what they're doing and everything else. Well, see, God watches. And He watches His children wants to know how they work. And so you're supposed to be, and I don't know what they pay you, what, 28, 30 an hour at least, something like that. I think, yeah, we like that idea. Uh, but it, if you had come to me and you wouldn't have done this, you'd say, Pastor, I just wanted to let you know how much I wanted to serve the Lord. I went in Kroger and told him I worked for $3 less an hour than anybody else doing my job. I wouldn't have said, Nate, man, you're a spiritual young man. I'd say, you're nuts, man. What are you doing? Anybody else there tired? Man, get what you can get. Now, you know, but it is, you need to work. What I'm telling you is biblical. I could take a whole study just explaining this to you, that the workman's worthy of his hire. And so what happens is, when we do this though, we're to we're charge them that are rich in this world not to be high-minded, not to trust in certain riches, but that they do good. Then they be rich in good works. Watch this. Look down there, if you will, in uh, verse 18. Ready to distribute. That means instead of holding a wallet like this, and I know kids, we learned what a real wallet was back then, didn't we? And, uh, but holding a billfold like this, and, or uh, high, you know, holding on to it like that, we have our hand going back towards it, seeing if there's a way we can be a help. Let me ask you a question. You just answer between you and the Lord, and if you don't really have an answer for it, which may be the case, I want you to think on it. Are there times when you get nudged? You get that little nudge saying, you had to help with that. You had to do something for that person. Maybe leave a little something, a gift or something, you know, just kind of do it where it would be a blessing. You ever get that nudge? Do you obey it? Or do you generally argue with it? Let me encourage you towards following it. It may be in some ways you never even think it's going to happen. People tend to only think of things like that in a church context and you need to think way, way beyond the borders of that. That person, that little something. Have you ever, have you ever been out to eat somewhere and you got a nudge to do a little more on that tip? Please at least tip decently if you're leaving a gospel track. Now I'm serious as that as I can be. If you're not going to leave a tip, a decent tip, then don't leave a trap. That's a harsh statement. Really, seriously? You say, well, they didn't give me good service. That's all right. Then tip them because you're a good, you're a good uh, customer, not they're a good server. And then when you go to that restaurant again, ask for a different server. Just, I mean, there's ways to do this. You can serve them in it. <laughs> but you ever had that nudge? I saw somebody do this. I won't give away who it was. I saw somebody do this. And it was kind of weird because I was sitting there, not weird, I said weird, I think the Lord was in it. And my wife had said to me, I think I'm going to do something a little for this, this server. 
But somebody else we were with, they disappeared, went out to the car, and came back, and they had quite a bit of money. And I asked them, I said, what are you doing with that? And they're like, don't know, just really felt like the server. And so between the two, there was good little decent, it was, it was enough of a tip that it was one of the ones you stand there and make sure she gets it not the bus for it. <laughs> and uh, the server saw us and she just lost it. She's like, you have no idea. And there was such a specific need. You think she was open? We had less problems than her. You think she was open? Towards a little kind word. But you see, that's what I'm saying about the nudge of that thing. I am interested in helping you be blessed. Now, the difference between me and a TV preacher, my next sentence was, give me your money. I am helping you to handle what is yours before God well. And, and, and man, the Bible instructs us so much in this. Let's finish out here, all right? It says, and they do good that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And that's more than just speaking. That's the idea of, of seeing the need and entering into it and that sort of thing. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. It's interesting because everlasting and eternal are not equivalent words. They overlap. Eternal involves not only the fact of life that doesn't die, but it also involves the quality of that life and living for something beyond just now. The living for just now and the things that perish is called temporal in the Bible. That which is temporary. The word eternal takes in not only the fact that once we're born again, we'd live forever, but it also has to do with how wide that life goes. It has to do with living for more than just now. You can enjoy the things that are now, but they don't consume you because they're temporary. They're temporal, is the Bible word. And so this thing laying hold of eternal life, there are many people, unfortunately, who have everlasting life through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, but they do not live in the fullness of eternal life. Though saved by grace, they do not really live on a level any higher than the brute beasts of this world. Why do I eat next? How do I stay warm? And what goes on? Now there are some people who are reduced to that in life because those things are missing and each of those would be a great thing for them to have and I'm not casting anything at people in that condition. But there are many people who are just that's all they think of next. What's next? What's supper? What's for lunch? What can I do? What can I do? And then it's, it's like the rest of life looking no higher than right here. No idea that there's a great creator God that loves them. And so what happens when we do things right, then the things that God gives us are not a stumbling block to us, but they help us to appreciate the one who's given them to us. Um, some of you, no doubt, have things that someone you care a lot about has given to you. Or maybe they were possession of somebody that you cared a lot about. There's a little glass chicken. It's not real, in case you wonder. Um, there's a little glass chicken at our house. It's a mighty special chicken. And it had been one of my mom's little glass chickens. A little nesting chicken thing. It was like a chicken sitting down on a nest. Sandra got some. I got some. And one of those, little Marlia loves. And she had checked it out, turned on her best charm, 
and said, Nemo, can I have that chicken? And my, ma my wife, being digger hearted, said, no. <laughs> and uh, she did. She said, not now. She said, you really like that? And Marlia said, I do. And my wife said, I didn't know about this after it happened, and I mean, I'm all in favor of it. But she said, this will be your chicken someday. And she wrote Marlia's name on a little piece of paper and put it in the glass chicken. Every single time Marlia comes over to our house, she says, can I see my name? I think she's checking to make sure it hasn't turned to Bradley or Roman or something. But she, she checks that out. That's the thing. Now, if she continues in that vein, that, that little glass thing will be very important to her because of who it came from. My wife has, has a beautiful ring that actually uh, was her mother's wedding band that she gave to my wife, and she had reconfigured somewhat. And, and where's that? Not as a wedding band. She wears the one I, well, the second one I gave her. Uh, they, uh, with that, uh, I married the same woman all over again. It, it was good, but we didn't get nearly as many presents the second time. Um, but she, uh, she, has, she made a nice ring out of that and her mom's. So that's precious to her. I think there's stones in there from her grandmother's ring and then from her mom's. And so she's got this. I, I may have tangled up some. Anyway, they're all tied in there somehow. She knows about it. And uh, why? Because where it came from. Now here's the thing about it. When we approach things a biblical way, then these things in life, we realize they're from a kind Heavenly Father. We can treat them with the proper respect and our enjoyment and use of them actually can draw us closer to Him. We can think about Him with it. Instead of them becoming divisive where they capture our heart in a way they shouldn't. Because, hey, if we're looking to our properties or finances and stuff to be our security, and I'm not saying you shouldn't prepare that. I'm all for proper financial handling. But if that's our true security, then we'll always be unstable. We'll never be in a position of being able to actually say this is good. But if we have good wisdom and stewardship with how we handle things, while our trust is in the God that gave us strength to do these things, then we have, the, we have the balance that God wants us to have at that point. Um, let me give you these quick thoughts and, and we'll head for the house. How to avoid, or how to abound rather? Let me give you these. Number one, don't become prideful. Now would be a good time to just write these quick thoughts down. Don't become prideful. Don't become prideful. Well, Nebuchadnezzar did that in the Old Testament, didn't he? Man, he was a powerful king. A lot of wealth. There was that day he walked out on his palace out there in the balcony in his palace and he looked out and said is not this great Babylon which I have built for the excellency of my glory with the power of my might what he did he became prideful because of what he had done there been many a person has been blessed of God and yet it has led to a prideful arrogance which has been their undoing that's where you hear about people that say well they used to listen and then they got successful You've heard sometimes people say, well, wealth ruined them. It can. It can actually change a person. I've heard it said that wealth just reveals what somebody is, but I don't hold to that. It has the power because it's an issue of heart. Treasure and heart go together. And it has the power. I'm not saying it always does, but it does have the power to actually change someone. They can become a caricature of what they used to be. And, uh, and may God help us never to get into that. And so what is it? Don't become prideful. 
Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not. Better quit. Better quit. Well, Nebuchadnezzar ended up like a wild animal eating grass until he learned that the Lord God rules in the kingdom of men. Then number two, don't think that having goods or resources is the same as being right and godly. Don't think that having goods or resources is the same as being right and godly. I'll read a passage to you and we'll be coming back here right right to the first Timothy six. But let me read this to you in Revelation. There's a church, the church of Laodiceans, is a place called Laodicea. Hear what God sent the message he sent to that church. It says, Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen. Which, by the way, that's what you need in a lukewarm church is some Amens. Honest to goodness. Saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness. You need some soul winning in a lukewarm church. Get it moving. Faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. You need to get back to the basics and the origin in a lukewarm church. He says to this church, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, getting by, and neither cold nor hot, I would spew thee out of my mouth. You know what that means? I say, spit it out. If we get something in your mouth, you spit it out. What in the world is that? He said, it makes me sick. Lukewarm church always makes God sick. Because thou sayest, pay attention Sunday school teachers, here's another one in that pattern. Because thou sayest, so God's quoting back to them things they're saying. Here's what that church is saying about itself. I am rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing. There you go. And knowest not. He said, you're saying one thing, but you don't know something. And knowest not, he says, what you are. The first part is what you think you are. And then God said, here's what you actually are. He said, thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And he says, you see yourself this way, but here's where you really are because you have begun to have your heart trust in those things instead of the living God who gives you freely all things to enjoy. There's a huge difference. It's not just a play on words. Back here in 1 Timothy 6, look again at it, if you will. <clears throat> look in verse 3, and I'm not going to give the preface to all this, but just look in this. Verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, that's the litmus test for knowing if it's actually right doctrine. It always moves you towards godliness. False doctrine always takes you away from godliness, um, which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Now you want to see what these people think? Supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. Get away from it. But godliness with contentment is great gain. May God help us to believe and live that. 
So don't become prideful. Don't think that having goods or resources is the same as being right and godly. Number three, don't shift your trust to uncertain riches. And I've dealt with that enough. I don't need to elaborate here, but Psalm 62.10 says this, Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. If they're gone, all of a sudden they'll destroy you. Don't set your heart on it. Use it well if you have it, but don't set your heart upon it. Um, then let me say to you, fourthly, don't let appetites or lust be inflamed. Listen to this verse from Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. I've preached in this church a couple of times a message entitled, The Satisfaction of an Appetite is More Appetite. And what happens when you, you inflame appetites and lusts of a fleshly nature is that it creates more appetite. Just one more, just a little further, just a little more, just a little more of a tingle, just a little more of a buzz, just a little more of it. And pretty soon, the appetite takes control. And at that point, there can never be a peace or satisfaction because the drive is always for more. And so the Scripture puts it out in the way I just gave it to you. Uh, don't let your appetites or lusts be inflamed. Luke 12 contains the account of the rich man who planted his fields and they brought forth abundantly. He'd been blessed, but he didn't know how to abound. He came up with a plan. And there in Luke 12, it says that he said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build greater and I'm going to lay all this up so that I can say to my soul, soul, eat and drink and be at ease for many years to come. That's a couple different things. He never once thought of using some of the abundance for someone else's benefit. He assumed that all increase that came his way was for him. Instead of him, God wanting to use him as a conduit or a channel to be a blessing to someone else too. And then he was arrogant about the future. Because he said, I'll do this. And what did he say? I'm going to build this and then I'll be set and just kick back when I have to worry about anything. What did God say to him? The Bible says God said to him, thou fool. God calls you a fool. Listen to me. You're sure enough a fool. God said, thou fool, this night is thy soul required of thee. Then whose shall these things be? We can learn a lot from that. So how do you abound? Don't let lust and appetites be inflamed. That's exactly how people, there's a $27,000 a year income and they say, man, if I make $40,000 a year, I wouldn't have any problems at all. They get to $40,000 and feel like they can barely make it. They say, man, I'll tell you what, if I just made $60,000 a year, if people make $60,000, they make good money. Good money is usually ten to $12,000 more than you make. And $60,000, that's good money, and then I wouldn't have anything to worry about. They get to $60,000, and they're still not making it. They get to seventy, eighty, dollars and they get to a point where they before would have thought they were wealthy, and they're still living hand to mouth because they've never changed their practices, they've never changed their indebtedness, they've never changed the way they do things to get scriptural on things. And what happens is the appetite's increasing, with the abounding, and it is not the way that God intended for us to abound. 
Because it's a bondage in a prison and not blessing. Boy, I interject something right now, but it was told to me in private. and I never asked if I could use this illustration. I may do that. It'd be helpful. Then let me say to you, remember the issue is stewardship. Not paying bills or having enough. So preacher, don't you think we should pay our bills? Yes, but I far more think we ought to <laughs> decrease the bills we're incurring. There's some things that come with living. There are other things that come with appetites running wild. You say, well, preacher, I can afford it. Then why are you using somebody else's mind to do it? Do we not understand that we will give account for all that comes into our power? We will. It's not a question. If $30,000 comes into our hands this year, we are going to be answerable for the proper purposeful use of all $30,000. The mindset among Christians is this. Well, I pay all my bills on time and you know I can account for five of the $30,000, one-sixth. But that's okay. I paid all my bills and I tithed on it, so I'm okay. When did doing what we should do, tithe, and when did acting as we should act, integrity to keep up with things that we would owe on, our electric bill, light bill, whatever, when did that become a pass to be sloppy and not good stewards with the rest of what God put in our hands? Come on now, I've felt the same kind of conviction you're feeling right now. And I'm serious. And it's a point, am I going to take this and do something with it? I am not interested in playing church. And I am not interested in God's people being going down the pathway like the rest of the world and hanging themselves by things that we can do better because we've got Bible instruction and we can live differently. We're children of God. Purchased with the blood of Christ. We don't have to operate as other people operate. God lives in us and wants to help us and wants us to have His wisdom have you ever asked for God for wisdom and things? He'll help you. He delights in helping His children. Ah, Don't live below who you are. And I'm not talking about how much money you have now. I'm talking about uh, you're saved. God's your heavenly Father. Let's live as His children. Let's just quit being victims to everything that comes down the road and let's do something. And then... <laughs> Increase generosity. Increase generosity. This last verse I'll show you. Look in Proverbs chapter 11. How to abound. You said, Preacher, you've taken a little time with this. Oh yeah, because it's very important. Because see, what can happen is, Proverbs 11, it is God wants to bless you and, and then He sees you obeying and He says, okay, I can bless their obedience. He's not going to bless disobedience. But He blesses your obedience and then you start going forward and then there comes a tipping point where that which should have been a blessing suddenly starts becoming a curse because it takes your heart away from the one who blessed you. I was talking with someone last week and they kept talking about how lucky they were, how lucky they were, how lucky they were here, here. And I was glad that they were grateful in a way. And I stopped him. I said, um, I, I think we both agree. If you think about it, blessed is a lot better word. And they're like, that's probably right. I said it is. Because it acknowledges. 
And it's always good to acknowledge the Lord. That's always a good thing to do. He's worthy of it. 11 verse 24, look at it. Increase your generosity. Look for some people to help. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than his meat. That word meat is the idea of proper or fitting. There is that withholdeth more than his meat and attendeth to poverty. I've been around Christian people a long time now. I've been preaching the gospel a long time. Let me tell you the two things I see when people hang over so horribly in this. One is a stinginess. They, the promptings I talked to you about earlier, by the way, those will get more specific and right on target the more you obey them. Oh, I wish I'd tell you something just from this week. But the things you can see happen are amazing. But, but think about it. Um, there, there are some who, I, I've seen this actually happen. <laughs> They'll give away everything they have and then I pray for God to meet the light bill when they just gave away South Central's money or AP or whatever you have. Here's a good rule of thumb. If your giving is causing someone you owe to live by faith, then it's not you giving anymore. If I was renting and I owed my landlord, oh, what would an expensive apartment be nowadays? Two, three hundred dollars? Oh, I didn't say closet, did I? I said apartment. Okay. But if I owed if I owed the landlord a thousand dollars at the end of the month or whatever, if I owed that landlord a thousand dollars, I had that thousand dollars. I worked. I had that thousand dollars there, and I saw somebody over here had a need, and I said I'm going to take care of that, and I took that money which was due in two days to that landlord, and I gave them five hundred dollars for it. But just because I was such a good Christian, I wasn't a good Christian. I just gave away somebody else's money. If I were to help them, then maybe I would sell something that belonged to me or work some overtime. Then I'm actually doing something instead of someone else. So I've seen that end. I've seen the other end where somebody says, well, I just can't afford to do anything. You know, well, if I made more, I'd do more. No, you won't. Maybe you won't. And I understand there's a basic level of living. I understand this real well. And it all ends of the spectrum. Well, not all ends. I mean, you know, Bill Gates still got a few extra dollars than I did. But it, I've, been, I've been through what's reasonable thing. You say, well, there's a basic level of living. I know that. But even when you're at that, obeying and following the things the Bible teaches puts you into a different way of living completely. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I hunger in my soul. For each of you as God's people to get this thing. That God's real. And that we've got to go about learning how to be proper stewards of the amazing things that God's given us as American people. I think we might cry to know if we had some way of knowing the numbers. And I wouldn't really trust anything laid out trying to tell this because it would be so hard to track. And by the way, I'll preface this by saying I'm a fellow who likes critters, not just you know gravy either. I like I like my pets. I like my dogs. We take good care of them. They get sick. We try to take care of them and all that sort of stuff. I like my 19 year old cat. She still thinks she's a kitten and she's a lot of fun. We had our old turtle with half a shell, turtle with half a shell. I like him. We took care of him. So I like critters. But here's the thing about it. I think we can break our heart if we could have a graph that showed how much American Christians 
spend on pets and things with that compared with getting the gospel into the whole world. Extras, hobbies. Take mine. Take my cycling. Take yours, whatever it may be. What do we do here? What do we do for the Lord on this? Is there not a point where and all, this off balance starts indicating that our heart is not where it should fully be. If we do things God's way, and I know I've not enumerated a here, here, here's how you do it, okay? And that's not what this message is for. This message is designed by the Word of God to stir up your thinking to the fact that we are stewards of what God's put into our hands. And that our God has been kind enough to us to let us freely enjoy all good things, then we should be careful with those things, make sure they don't steal our heart so that we love the blessing more than the one who blesses. And we should always be mindful, how can I best use this to be honoring to the Lord? So many illustrations I could give. May God give you wisdom on it. May God help me to have wisdom on it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your words. So much in this. So much I'm wanting to learn and grow in. I believe a lot of your people are. Lord, it almost seemed like some folks' attention was kind of wandering around tonight a little more than usual. I don't know if that's right or not. You do. But I ask you, even if that's the case, that uh, Holy Spirit of God, you'll help impress on some hearts and some minds the seriousness of this, that we would be mindful of the fact you've given us good things and that we would, as grateful children, enjoy them thoroughly and love you through it. Lord, I pray you'll give these people that love you wisdom and knowing the particulars of their situation, understanding to know how they ought to behave in their particular situation. And God, may they seek you on it and just be open to you. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Thank you for the opportunities you give us. Help us walk before you in integrity, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Something you want to bring to the Lord tonight. Maybe you want to come seeking some wisdom on this. You know the Bible says if you lack wisdom, you ask of God to give it to every man liberally and upbraid it not. But you're admonished to ask in faith, nothing wavering. Would you seek God on this? Would you yield yourself to Him? Would you yield your resources and your energies to the Lord and just have Him direct you? Would you be secure enough in the love of Christ to know that uh, your Heavenly Father wants you to best benefit from what He puts into your hands? He doesn't want to become a snare to you. Many a person has bought a gift for somebody or has done something for them and later on has said, wish I'd never done that. That turned out to do this or they did that or this led them a wrong way. And uh, boy, I tell you, let's not be that way with God. We have a song invitation. You can join those who are here. But where are you going to come? Are you going to talk to the Lord about it? Mm -hmm.